Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show and thanks so much for tuning in. Some major retail chains are phasing out the sale of products treated with PFAS. It's a family of chemicals known for their nonstick, water-repellent, and stain-resistant properties. TRU scientist Jonathan Van Ham wrote a piece in The Conversation Canada about why products like clothing, carpets, and cookware are treated with these substances and why they're being phased out. I'm joined on the phone now by John Van Ham. John, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jeff. So, to start, probably the most important thing for people to understand here is what exactly are PFAS? What, what is this? For sure. So, yeah, PFAS, like you said, is a class of chemical compounds, and the, the full term is per- and polyfluorinated organic chemicals, uh, which is quite a mouthful. Uh, but what essentially what it means is you have uh, molecules with a lot of carbon atoms strung together, and attached to those carbon atoms are fluorine atoms. And um, that that combination of atoms with carbons and fluorines, those are really strong chemical bonds. And so what's interesting about these molecules is because those bonds are so strong, they're very resistant to, um, you know, to extreme heat uh, or kind of extreme chemical environments. So they're very stable. Okay, so with all that in mind, what, what is the concern here? Why is this an environmental issue that uh, you feel the need to bring up? For sure. So it's that, it, the environmental issue kind of relates to the stability as well. So because these chemicals are, are completely human-made, um, there's no chemical similar to that in a natural environment. Um, kind of the natural processes for removing or recycling chemicals in the environment don't apply very well to these compounds. So as we manufacture more of them and they get released into the environment, uh, they don't go away. So uh, with that in mind, I guess, what what are some of the major concerns about them? Like what kind of impacts can they have on on people, on on the land? What what are the, you know, physical changes that we could see as a result of the use of these chemicals? Well, that's a great question. So they found now that, so chemists can detect these chemicals now, um, and they are finding them everywhere. So you'll find them all over the world, you know, including up in the Arctic. Um, you'll find them in humans and animals and plants, water, fog, you name it. So they're very pervasive. And um, recent research is linking them to um, kind of negative health impacts uh, in, in humans. Okay. Um, and, and I understand as well from reading your piece, I mean, drinking water seems to be a big concern as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, there's been a lot of cases recently, in, in, especially in the United States, where uh, communities relying on, say, groundwater for their drinking water, if they're close to a manufacturing plant that makes these uh, chemicals or close to a major user of the chemicals, um, their drinking water gets contaminated, and then they have to install very expensive treatment systems to, to remove the compounds uh, before the communities can use them, uh, use the water. Yeah, that sounds like it could be something that, uh, I mean, we've talked about uh, drinking water concerns in a number of states, and uh, this just seems like one more potential issue that they might have to deal with. I mean, we've talked about, what, like lead, and we've seen the Flint, Michigan stuff, and Walkerton, and uh, yeah, a lot of concerns that can come with contaminated drinking water. Um, yeah, so if, if, you know, a person were to be exposed to this kinds of material, what do you know? What, what sort of impact it could have? What sort of, um, you know, what, what would happen to a person if they were to be kind of over, overwhelmed with these chemicals in their system? Yeah, and that's a complicated question. So I think most of us carry around kind of low levels of these compounds uh, in, our, in our bodies. 
And people who work in the manufacturing plants uh, or use a lot of the chemicals will have higher burdens. And so I think right now the the research is just kind of making linkages between um, high levels of those chemicals in the body and kind of long-term health impacts. So they're kind of linking it to things like, you know, disruption in thyroid function or maybe long-term reproductive impacts. There's not a lot of, you know, 100%, um, you know, this compound, this concentration will cause this problem. So that's why it's a bit kind of hazy right now, but there's, you know, accumulating evidence that really long-term exposure uh, at low levels to these compounds might have negative impacts. So with that said, where are we as as humans, I guess, in terms of the research behind these chemicals and, um, um, you know, and, and, and the, the lobbying that's going on to remove them, I guess, from, from retail stores completely. Where, where are we in that process? Yeah, it's, I, think it's, it's, I think it's becoming more and more of a hot topic. So these, these compounds were kind of first introduced commercially probably in the 1950s. And it wasn't until, you know, maybe the early 2000s that um, chemists were actually able to measure and detect these compounds in the environment. So it was about 50 years before people even started to realize that these chemicals were, you know, were found everywhere in the environment, including, as I said, in human, in human bodies. And so it's still pretty, pretty early days uh, in terms of the research. But now that the tools are available to measure the compounds, um, you know, research is accelerating. The other big challenge is that they estimate that there's about 5,000 different chemicals of this class that are currently being used on the market. And so measuring the toxicity of each one of those individually is very, uh, very uh, time-consuming and very difficult. Yeah, 5,000 different uh, types. That's an insane number that uh, I was not expecting you to bring forward. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And a lot, of the, a lot of the products that use these chemicals, the, the formulations are, are secret. They're, they're trade secrets or patented. So often the you know, scientists don't even know what they're looking for. Uh, when they're going out to, to measure these things. And, uh, you know, given some of the products that these are used in, I mean, they're pretty common household items for a lot of things. Um, you know, even if there was to be a complete ban on this tomorrow, uh, which probably is not likely to happen, but, I mean, how long would it take to get rid of the products that have these on there? I know you probably, you obviously can't totally answer that question, but just, like, anecdotally, um, it sounds like this one, this would be something that would take like hundreds of years to really phase out of our society. Yeah, I think so, at least. And, and the, the main problem is, is that um, a lot of the evidence is showing that a lot of the compounds will degrade in the environment, partially. And they seem to all kind of tend towards one or two compounds that aren't removed the environment at all. So these seem to be... Um, 100% persistent and could maybe take thousands of years to get removed uh, from from our environment. Crazy stuff. Well, uh, that's pretty much all I have for questions for you, Jonathan. Anything else you want to add on this topic before I let you go? Um, no, I think it's, it's an important thing to be aware of. Um, I don't know if people need to panic too much, but I think it is, you know, I think it's critical that, you know, that governments and universities, you know, continue looking at these materials 
and engage with industry and end users because at the end of the day it's the consumers that drive you know that that drive the production of these chemicals mm-hmm. um, I think so engaging with those groups and looking for alternatives is really important right on and just before I do let you go can I get you to say exactly what PFAS stands for one more time because I can't say it myself so I think it's you important bet. To get so it, it means there. poly or per floral alkyl substances and so uh, poly means many, and per means all. So if you have a polyfloral substance, it means it has, a, it has many fluorines. And if it's per, it means it has, you know, all the carbon atoms are, are uh, attached to a fluorine. Well, John, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and speak with me. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting piece, so I encourage people to go, go ahead and read it. That's on the, uh, the Conversation Canada. You can read John's piece there. So thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, my pleasure. You too. Awesome. That was TRU scientist Jonathan Van Ham.